On this episode of Dig Me Out. It's probably my least favorite song on the album. Really? Because I thought that that was my favorite song on the album. There's definitely an R.E.M. thing under what this whole band's doing. Well, didn't the drums sort of get into almost like a ska territory? Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your co-host, Timonichi, my fellow co-host... Jay Ziak. Jay, I realized that when I was introing us on previous shows, I was basically introing myself as the host and you as some guy who randomly showed up every week, but <laughs> you're your co-host. So that's that's how I'm going to... What I think we should do is I should say, I'm Tim Minichi, and then I throw to you and you go, and I'm Jason Ziak, and this is Dig Me Out. How do you, how do you like that? We, we definitely should not do that. I mean, this was your ba- this was your baby, so I'm glad uh, I'm uh, I'm happy to let you take uh, take the hosting chair. I did birth this. It wasn't I mean, messy. It wasn't messy. I've attached myself since then. Yeah, sort of like that, like the sucker face and aliens. You grabbed on and will not let go. I've they tried contributed, but I've tried to get other people on, but you fight them off uh, feverishly. Yeah. So. I'm always telling you to not put other people on here. <laughs> well, let's um, let's get tonight's tonight's uh, record. This is a this is a really interesting one, not only because it's a band that only put out one record, but they have a really interesting slash tragic uh, history that goes along with the band. Before we get into it, how familiar will, were you with Four Squirrels and their album Example before we? Uh, chose this for our listening our listening pleasure i honestly only knew about the band uh because i i think that the the accident when they died i don't know that i knew of them before then um so and i don't even know that i heard any of the music for sure okay Um, i just heard the name and i kind of heard the story yeah i was kind of in the same boat i kind of remembered the single, which is Mighty KC, uh, but I didn't really know the rest of the album and the specifics of what happened with the band were unclear to me. So this this really helped um, figure all that out and get all the info. So let's get to the band. Uh, Four Squirrels formed in 1992 in Gainesville, Florida. They consisted originally of vocalist Jack Bigliatura IV, Guitarist Travis Took, or Toke, depending on how you pronounce it, T-O-O-K-E. Bassist Bill White and drummer uh, Jay Russell. In 1994, two years after forming, um, Russell left the band and was replaced by Jack Griego. And the band self-released an album called Bypath Road and then an EP called Plymouth. They signed to Sony 550 Music. And Sony hooked them up with producer Nick Launay, who is English. And this guy has a pretty impressive resume. We've talked about Steve Albini and Alan Mulder and various people. This guy's worked with, all right, Pill, Killing Joke, Gang of Four, Girls Against Boys, Nick Cave, Grinderman, and then in the 90s, Semi-Sonic, Silverchair, 
Supergrass, among others, and then a particular band that I'm a fan of that I think you also like, Deckard, who, who put out one album like 2000, so we're never going to get to them, so this will be the only time we actually mention the band. Um, so that's a pretty impressive list of bands. I mean, going back to the 70s all the way up till now, really, that this band got to work with. So the album was set for release in October of 1995. The month before, the band drove to the CMJ Music Marathon Festival in New York City to play the legendary CBGBs. Now this is, I've actually been to CBGBs. It's gone now, but this is a legendary rock club. Every punk band in the 70s cut their teeth there. Every band that before they made it played CBGBs. The Ramones, Blondie, um, Television, all those great 70s punk bands, and all the way up until five or six years ago when CBGB shut down. On their way back from New York City to Gainesville, they were three hours away from home in Savannah, Georgia, when a tire blew and the accident killed lead singer um, Jack Vigliatura, bassist Bill White, and their tour manager Tim Bender. Uh, the drummer Jack Riego and um, guitarist Travis Took or Took um, were both injured but survived the accident. And then the following month, the album came out, and the first single that was supposed to be released was the Mighty KC which was actually a tribute to Kurt Cobain. Um, it was a minor hit, and the band tried to continue on playing some Four Squirrel songs and covers with um, a guitarist on vocals and a high school friend, Andy Lord, on bass. Actually, I'm not sure if it was high school, just as a school friend. They... Played under the name Revolver, and then eventually settled on a new name called Subrosa. Subrosa, in 1997, released an album, Never Bet the Devil Your Head, on Sony. It got okay reviews, but it didn't sell, and um, eventually people left the band, and they broke up in 2001. So, that's the brief and rather tragic history of this band. Um, the part about, you know, they're driving back 17 hours from New York City to Gainesville and they're three hours away and the accident happens just after they played CBGB's just kills me. That's just an awful story. And I remember hearing about it back in the day because when this album came out, everybody knew, you know, when they got the record, oh, this is the band that you know, the members got killed. Mm -hmm. So um, with all of that in mind, let's talk about the music. Uh, what was your uh, impressions of this record? What, what did you like? What did you not like? What did you think of it? Well, I think this is a band that has a has a bit of an identity crisis. Um, I definitely could tell that they were they were from Florida or maybe Georgia um, because there's I think when they're um, at their core have kind of a Nirvana or sorry REM kind of sound to them yeah um but that's it's either buried or it's infrequent um because i think they kind of run the gamut of musical styles on this album um which at mo which at some moments are it's interesting and other times it's just it's just too uh it's just too far and you sort of lose your sense of what this band is, is about the mighty kc 
sounded familiar to me, so I, I guess I must have heard it. Um, and it's also very, you know, listening to it now and knowing the story, really kind of an eerie song. Yeah, the lyrics uh, are um, in the chorus, and by the grace of God go I into the great unknown. Things are going to change in our favor. And I know he's, you know, supposedly that was sort of written as an homage, or not an homage, in, a, um, in reference to uh, Kurt Cobain. But in light of what happened to the band, you can't help but like associate those lyrics um, with yeah, the band. I mean, there's a couple lines in there about like being buried and yeah, really kind of creepy. It's not the only song, too. They mention it in the first song, um, which is 8.02 p.m. It's uh, The lyrics are, Gone and not forgotten, gone and not forgotten. Do I hear the sound of a plane crash? Do I hear the sound of a copter? Is it real or am I dreaming? And then in the song Stark Pretty, the lyrics go, Every single action, I am death-defined, death-defined. Isn't it kind of amazing to you that this doesn't happen more often to bands. I mean, Accidents. you know, we sort of were, we did this in a very minor level, but we got a sense of what it was like, um, you know, trying to drive overnight. We did a lot less than other bands do, but, you know, trying to play um, as many gigs as you can, driving overnight, you know, uh, driving in vehicles that are not exactly safe. Um, forging ahead through either you know weather that you probably shouldn't be to make a gig or to make it home or make it to the next gig you know nobody's wearing seat belts you know the the, the vans are old and worn out it's just kind of amazing that this doesn't happen more often considering how many uh you know how many bands are out there doing it um yeah and, decades and, and decades what's odd is that some of the i guess deaths that i'm familiar with um, that involve bands or band members aren't necessarily when they were out on tour. For example, mm -hmm. D. Boone from the Minutemen, they weren't on tour when he had his car accident and killed. Um, the guy, I can't remember his name right now, but from the Dayton band, the noise rock band that everybody references, uh, I'm totally, their album's called Smack Bunny. I'm totally drawing a blank on the name of the band. They're hugely influential, noise rock band. He died in a car accident and it wasn't tour related. And you're right, I, I'm totally amazed that I think the thing that helps bands is that usually if it's late or if there's been a lot of drinking or drugs involved, there's usually one guy in the band who's straight enough or, you know, pays attention enough to not be the guy who gets in trouble that night. 
and is able to like pull it together and, and get to the hotel or get to the house that they're staying at or get to the next show, whatever city they're driving to. There's usually one guy who's in control enough that keep his eyes open and make it to the next city. Yeah, and I don't even think I got into the, the drinking and the drug thing when I was kind of going through my little list there of, of all the all the reasons why, you know, this could happen a lot more. So, right. I mean, you add that in, it's like even uh, seems even more likely that this would happen on kind of on a regular basis. I mean, it's, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, but I mean, back to the music, there's definitely an R.E.M. thing under the under under this whole what this whole band's doing I mean that makes some sense you know Georgia's not that far from from Gainesville so there's probably quite a bit of influence there um I really like the singer's voice a lot mm-hmm. you can kind of tell that he hasn't quite hadn't quite gotten to his potential yet um but when he really kind of lays into uh, a line and really uh delivers it strong and loud his voice opens up and kind of becomes a whole different tone and sound, which is really pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, most of the songs he delivers in this more of a, uh, I guess, more uh, monotone, you know, moderate sort of delivery. Um, yeah, I heard that uh, <clears throat> on the third song, Superstar, mm-hmm. just sort of a repetitive, uh, very Nirvana bleach sounding reminded me of a smile yeah especially the vocal the vocal sound a lot like the guy from smile yeah i yeah that's a good comparison i didn't catch the smile um what what did you think of you mentioned rem the fifth song under smithville that to me the especially the guitar playing with the runs and the and the jangly guitar it totally sounded like peter buck from yeah. rem that was the one where i had heard comparisons to rem but I hadn't really heard it up until that song. The second song has a little bit of REM-ishness, but not as much as Under Smithville, which is a good song, yep. actually. Um, I circled it as one of the ones that I really liked. Yeah, I have two and five as being the REM, most REM-influenced, and, and two, really, uh, I think his delivery is very Michael Stipe-esque, the way he's uh, um, the vocal melody, big time. And I also think... Um, I picked up on the first song uh, that they're using either a Rickenbacker or a hollow body guitar and that kind of tonally gets them in that area. Obviously the parts and right. melodies and stuff are there, but even tonally from a guitar standpoint, I think sometimes it gets uh, into the Peter Buck sounding stuff just because his guitar tone is probably so similar to what Peter Buck's is. Musically, did the first one remind you at all of early Smashing Pumpkins? The first song? Yeah. Kind of reminded um, me of, like, I Am One off of Gish. I had more of a Jane's Addiction thing 
written down for that, but I, could, I guess I could see that. It didn't come off... Um, I guess when I think of early Smashing Pumpkins, I think of, like, really thick, tight, heavily distorted guitars. Right. Which, this kind of gets there, but kind of doesn't go far enough for me to see that, but... I think that... It's probably my least favorite song on the album. Really? Because I thought that that was my favorite song on the album. First song? The first song, yeah. I really like that song a lot. Huh. Yeah, I didn't... That one, it it sort of gave me... It sent me in one direction where I started to get a little concerned I wouldn't like this album very much. And then, you know, after that, every song is a little bit... (laughs) Goes in in a, a completely different direction. So I... I don't mind it as much now that I've heard the whole album, but uh, it definitely didn't get me super excited to to listen to the rest of the album. I really like the way that the um, they use piano. Yes, I agree with you. I noticed that. that. Uh, did they have a piano player in the band? No, I think that was definitely a studio addition. There's a oh. nice piano on the second song, "Orange Worker," um, during the choruses, and then I also yeah. wrote it in the "Mighty KC" song. Uh, there's some piano in that as well that I liked. I also liked. Um, I didn't love the song, but on track ten. Eskimo Sand Dune. There was some mm-hmm. nice organ in that song. It's mm-hmm. um, not sure what it was going on, but there was some keyboard stuff that was just sort of barely in the mix during the verses. You brought up R.E.M. and then I sort of seconded you on that. I was trying to think about other bands during the 90s specifically that recalled, I would say, 80s to early 90s R.E.M. pre-Monster R.E.M. And I couldn't really think of a lot other than the first live album. But I even think that that's kind of a stretch. I don't think that they're doing... I think they're doing acoustic guitar versions of um, Pearl Jam, uh, Elderly Woman song, whatever. I never really thought about that. But, I mean, for R.E.M. being as big a band as they were, which I don't think they are now, as I'm going to say, as they were. No. Um there's not a lot of bands that really uh, clearly were influenced by them. Like, I don't even think, I don't even really see a lot of bands list them as an influence. I would say I mean, other now, than maybe the, the Decemberists. Yeah. Decemberists are, uh, the, yeah. The one band that, that did come up that, in my head, that would be um, a little after this, but were probably influenced by R.E.M. were uh, Idlewild. Oh yeah, and just just the way that um, the way that four squirrels are there, there's like a folk kind of undertone, the same way that REM sort of has that, mm-hmm. that 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 part to their music. All three of these bands sort of have that undertone there, but then they, uh, in the same way that Idlewild does, they go into uh, 
like a punk rock sort of attitude and energy at times and and four squirrels does the same thing I mean, there's a couple songs on here where they get fairly aggressive from a you know vocal delivery standpoint and just mm-hmm. overall volume um tonally they're not using you know heavy distorted guitars and production wise it's it's produced in a way that kind of still keeps it kind of contained but the energy there is still very similar to uh of of uh kind of attitude which is i think what idlewild did too which i really liked where they kind of go back and forth between sort of being this irish sort of folk when it's indie rock band and then all of a sudden they burst into like a super high energy hard rock punk band let me ask Um, you um since we're talking about punk and this is not that far off where i'm going what did you think of track six long live the king I put uh, reminded me of refused uh, the sound of punk to come. I, I kind of couldn't and, get over this the drums and at the drive-in. Yeah. But it had that weird, you know, that refused album. It, it, like, there's there's a couple songs in there that have this weird like production to them, or parts of songs where it's like, uh, it's like lo-fi, small drum sound, right? And then it like bursts into this loud, you know, mo- you know, modern punk thing. I definitely got that vibe from that song. Well, didn't um, the drums sort of get into almost like a ska territory? Like that's the kind of beat I was getting from those, and maybe I'm off, but I kind of yeah, got off put by that because it didn't really fit with the rest of the album. Whereas I kind of yeah, it's, like it's a lot definitely of it was, a weird song. Yeah, it's it's an odd song. I sort of viewed it as as what Refuse was doing. Um, mm-hmm. So if you took that and you played it like as a full fidelity, full like band thing it would sound more scotch but they kind of keep it in this weird like lo-fi contained you know quieter but still it's a weird like kind of technique they're using it it doesn't quite cross the the ska line so it kind of worked for me it's a it's an interesting song to help on the album that was like actually one of the songs that you know as it as i listened to uh i've mentioned before all these bands sort of randomly when this song came up it really caught my ear as being at least different mm-hmm. um for the time i mean there, there's a couple songs on here where they're definitely unique um it's the sound of them and and the sound of the vocal and even the production of the album the pr- production of the album is it's pretty interesting it's very very different it doesn't really sound like Production-wise, I had a hard time even 
comparing it to anything else it doesn't really sound like i mean other than at times rem is probably the closest it comes to but i think you have to when you're using if like if like you said they're using rickenbackers that just demands like a certain sound because those guitars Mm -hmm. are so unique um that to get that like chimey you know trebly guitar tone you just have to sort of you know work with that sound and you can definitely hear that on like we mentioned the songs two and five which are the most rem influenced it's kind of hard to judge this because you know essentially this is the first real album from this band they did a couple of independents before that but you, you know you listen to this and it's not like we have stuff to go after this where you can say well this is an interesting jumping off point i mean i'm kind of curious to hear where they go we don't have anything and then what the other band members did afterwards so you can hear you know there are elements of stuff that you're like wow this is really cool and this doesn't work but maybe if they refine this a little bit more it would have gone somewhere and it's interesting well, you could tell go ahead you know, i was gonna say it's interesting that you and i sort of like i think we're both like we like the album but we don't love it but we like completely different things about the album well, I think the the strength of the band is in the singer and the guitar player. You can tell that there's they're kind of the core of what's going on, and core songwriters. And you know, um, had they been able to continue, it probably you know would have been still about them. And uh, it's just unfortunate because I think the singer is you know he's pretty unique and. He's got a strength. He's got a good sense of melody, and uh, I think he has some potential vocally that uh, he hadn't quite figured out yet. Yeah, he had a good grasp of using his um, his like raspiness mm-hmm. and like a growl. And actually, on the Mighty KC, he actually reminded me of the lead singer of Paul a little bit, in the sense mm-hmm. that he wasn't always just singing it. He was sometimes he was, you know, speak singing it in a really like aggressive tone and mm-hmm. i would have liked to have heard a little bit more in that vein so yeah I, I love that i love when when a when a singer can i mean i love range but i also like when somebody can kind of sing relaxed and just find the right sort of flow and the right phrasing and just a right compliment to the music and he was able to kind of find those moments to do that and then also when he needed to get intense he had he had you know room to go there and push stuff which was cool so you know it's really unfortunate i think the album is is definitely worth um worth checking out and i think it's it's definitely something that uh there'll be certain songs that maybe at first you don't like but um will probably grow on you i think overall the whole album will grow on I knew the more you listen to it. I mean, it's it's only ten songs. Yeah, fairly. The songs are pretty short, right? I mean, there's nothing on here that's no. There's long. no long songs. There's no 25 minute, you know, final track with a uh, sax solo or anything like that. So it's um it's condensed. It's um, very um, well plotted out. You know, there's a, like ebb and flow to the album, and uh, I did want to mention I. The ninth song, Disenchanted, um, that was one that stuck out, and I want to make sure that you know, when we're doing the podcast, putting the songs in that we play it, because the particular part that I liked was the ending, there's like a crescendo, 
um, ending with a big build. And it's the one time the, the songs tend to stay within a pretty tight formula of, you know, verses and choruses and bridges. It's the one time when the band sort of lets loose, which I like. That and uh, the Immortal Dog and Pony Show has a nice bridge, which shows a little more musicality than what uh, you might hear in some of the other songs, where they're just straightforward verses, and choruses, and whatnot. That uh, they play around with some little more complex things there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I thought that I I thought that song too had the same point, and it brings piano back again, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, are you familiar with Guster at all? Very, uh, not not much. I know a very few songs of theirs. I know this was. Fine. I I know. Um, don't they have like a stand up bass player or stand up drummer or something like that? No, no, no. I, I I've heard a couple of their songs here and there. I, mean, I can't say I'm super familiar with them. I I know one song. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but just wondering if this band that. It's somewhat in the same at their more uh, fighter moments would be that would be comparative to them i'd have to listen to more guster but the stuff i've heard i don't think it's dramatically off from this i don't think they ever get into the sort of the heavier punk rock sort of energy that this band does but um, outside of that stuff it may be comparative um, but i wasn't sure if you had heard anything more than i had now <laughs> That's one band that has slipped under my radar. God damn it, Tim. I'm sorry. <laughs> making me cough. All right. I think we've pretty much covered everything for Four Squirrels album example. Um, I don't even know if it's worth getting into why they didn't make it big. I mean, there, <laughs> there are unique circumstances involving this band, so. Yeah, I think we know the answer to that. Yeah. So. All right. not on the planet Earth anymore. Well, this is um, this is a, a definitely a check it out from both of us. Uh, there are hits and misses on the record. Both of us have different ones, but um, if you're not familiar, I I could definitely say we're both um, recommending it. So uh, head on over to the website. We've got uh, I think they made a video for the Mighty KC, and I'll try to find it and put it up there and. Know, links to all the normal albums and streams and whatnot and anything else am i forgetting anything jay Thanks, all right that's it we're out thanks everybody for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our facebook page and twitter feed <laughs>